Thank you so much, Pastor Kenneth, for welcoming us. Indeed, it's a new start to a new year. And for all who have joined us online and on-site, we pray, as always, that the hearing of God's Word will be a blessing. The new start to a new year, we always start with vision, a vision of how the year might look like under God as we look at His Word, as we listen to His Son, as we pray together. So I'm going to begin by asking, can you remember life before COVID-19 hit us and life now? What is it that you miss? And how much do you miss it? For me, this is the first time here in Singapore after 10 months that preachers and pastors can preach without a mask or a shield. And I miss that tremendously. Don't you think so? And for you, I'm just waiting for the time in which we can be over this and you can come to church, I can see your faces and your smiles once more. So we need to ask, let's remember what life was for us in ARPC as a church. In December last year, 20, 2019, two years ago now, our youth group went for a mission trip. As is always the pattern, end of the year, December, we go off to mission trips all around the world. And this is a wonderful picture of that mission trip. I was there for the opening, the, the prayer for them to go and welcoming them back. And by God's grace, at the end of December 2019, I managed to lead a team for a spiritual tour of Turkey. Beautiful country, right? And one of the photos I wanted to show but didn't have time to show it is that we enjoyed all the Turkish food and six, seven of us crowding around one Turkish delight one Turkish uh, dessert and six, seven spoons in there. All the photos that we are showing you now are now illegal during COVID because of public health and the risks that are involved. And December 2019, as for the last 20 over years, we always ended with a New Year's Eve dinner in which there's so much fun and bonding, just giving thanks to God for a glorious year and we could do all these things again any one of these settings today, without masks, so close, right, within one metre, hands, shoulders over each other, all illegal. And so, what is it we really miss? They say, actually they say it was Einstein who said, it's insanity to do the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And one of the things that we do over and over again it's actually what? When we go through bad times, beginning with wars, you ever gone to a war cemetery? You should. You should go to war museums to see how much, how many lives have been lost. And we will always say at the war cemeteries, lest we forget. We must never repeat wars. Every war ends with a graveyard of hundreds and thousands of soldiers and civilians, lest we forget. Guess what? We do forget. We almost forgot SARS until COVID-19 came along and realised something like that hit us. When are we going to forget COVID-19? Very soon. Because we are stubborn to learn lessons from God about life and about eternal life. So if there is... So you, must, you and me must be tired. Tired of what? Tired of COVID-19? Tired of the old normal? When this thing called an invisible virus is everywhere, it touches everything and affects everyone. Aren't you tired of it? From the home to the school to work to every mall and public place you go to, whether you go to a garden or whether you go to a, a man-made place, it's everywhere. I was just meeting one of my relatives. Her son is going to start school and she's going to start... P3, and she said something just off the cuff, so pitiful. I said, why so pitiful? You know, when they go to school, they're not supposed to talk to each other. When they go to canteen, cannot talk to each other. I, then I remembered, yeah, I popped into Ko Chuan, our anchor, we are anchor church to the school, but I popped in to, to see the, the principal of the primary school. And there I saw what PE looked like during COVID-19. You know what PE looks like during COVID-19? Each one has their own ball. You couldn't be more pitiful than that. You couldn't be more miserable. If I wanted to play with my own toys and my own ball, I would stay at home. This thing has really turned life upside down. And to not wish for life 
and not to pray for life to resume to its God-created end, that we are made for fellowship with God and fellowship with each other because without that fellowship, we die. So I came across this article with a very interesting title, headline, How to Combat the Epidemic of... How to Fight the Epidemic of Loneliness. That safe distancing is slowly but surely killing us. First paragraph, and this is how it goes. Humans, they say, can survive three minutes without air. Can you? Why don't you try that now? No, no, don't do that. Three days without water and three weeks without food. Some of us got the reverse. We can survive not very long without food. So let me go again. Three minutes without air, three days without water, three weeks without food, and according to survival law, three months without companionship. That's why the most, the worst thing you can do to someone, the most painful thing you can do to someone is to put them in solitary confinement. The deepest pain in life is experienced when, even as children, people say to you, don't want to be your friend. Don't want to play with you. And somewhere along the line, you start losing friendships, losing friendships, breaking up marriages, losing family, and that is not God's created purpose. So if anyone is qualified to announce a totally irreversible new beginning, honestly, we said at the watch night service from Luke chapter 3, it must be John the Baptist. He's the most qualified announcer of the ultimate new normal. And why is he the most qualified announcer of the ultimate new normal? Because he is the announcer, the broadcaster of Jesus Christ. It is the person and the work of Jesus that will bring a reversal of this cycle of grow up, grow old, get sick, die. Grow up, grow old, sin, die. God did not create us for this terrible circle of life. And so he quotes in Isaiah, in chapter 3, Isaiah chapter 40, as it's written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. If you read the 66 chapters of Isaiah, a major prophet that God sent in the Old Testament to warn his people for 39 chapters is all judgment, judgment, judgment. For what? It's all judgment, 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 chapter after chapter for Israel's most horrendous sin against God. And Israel's most horrendous sin against God is fake piety. Is nominal worship. There, but not there. There in the body, but not there in the heart. Listening to God's, reading God's law, but not hearing God's voice. Nothing makes God more angry than that, my friends. And then from chapter 40 begins the first light of salvation that will cancel the judgment. And it begins with the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. God will not withdraw His presence from Israel and from the world forever and ever. It had been about 460 years since God spoke to His own people. One of my sisters said to me, it's terrible, right, when the kids don't speak to you. So I said, how long has this child not spoken to you? A few days. When you go into silent warfare with each other, it kills you. When the child shuts the door on you and doesn't tell you what's going through your mind, when the husband shuts the door and doesn't say, 400 years? God has chosen not to speak to His people. But now, the promises, He will return. And return finally and return permanently. God is going to be with His people forever and ever. That's what John the Baptist announces. And do not forget, John the Baptist announces Jesus. And the first thing we see about Jesus after the announcement is this. Now, when all the people were baptized, and was Jesus, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove, 
And a voice from heaven said, You are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. This is one of the purple passages of the Bible. And why is it a purple passage? It means a royal passage, a standout passage. You know why? Because all three persons of God are there. God the Father, God the Son, being endorsed by the Father, and God the Spirit descending upon the Son, symbolized in the dove, which tells you what God is about to do with the person and work of Jesus. Right? All of God is involved in this. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is involved in doing what? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is involved in saving you from Satan, in saving you from sin, in saving you from death. What does that mean? The next time you want to do sin of any kind, please remember all of the Godhead, the Trinitarian God, was involved in saving Clement, was involved in saving Chris, was involved in saving Freddie, was involved in saving, I'm just going to call out your name so to make sure you are on board with me, was involved in saving Kenneth. The next time he's tempted to melt down on his kids, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit is involved in saving me from my moment of anger. You, you couldn't get more precious than that, friends. And that's why this is the new beginning, because God thinks that your problem and my problem of Satan and sin is something that only He can completely rescue you from. So at Jesus' baptism, what is the message? Jesus is not baptised for any sins. He is not baptised for the preparation for repentance, which the whole nation was called to. Jesus' baptism is a baptism not of preparation that the whole nation was coming to John the Baptist for. His baptism was a baptism of identification. He was fully humble enough for two whole chapters, everything about Jesus' birth, every single character, part of his birth, Zacharias, Joseph, Mary, Elizabeth, Simeon, Anna, are all humble, faithful Jews from the remnant, welcoming the humble birth of Jesus into the world. Everything about Jesus' birth shouts and screams and proclaims humility, humility, humility. And what's the first thing you see of the adult Jesus? Utter complete humility as he enters the waters. He didn't have to do that, but he did that to fulfill all righteousness. So Jesus' baptism, not of preparation for repentance, for him there's nothing to repent of but identification. We say this again and again because here in RPC, by God's grace, for over the last 25, 30 years, we have run a drug rehab ministry. We now, by the grace of God, continue with the prisons ministry and to take the men and women out of a former drug background, a former prisons background, we have BASK, Brothers and Sisters in Christ, just, just helping them re-entry life spiritually, re-enter re life socially, financially, in every way. We help them as much as we can. I'm told again and again, Right? that the number one people who visit their sons in prison are who? Are usually mothers. The number one people who don't visit their sons with a background of crime in prison are fathers. And why do you think so? If that statistic is true. Because it's so shameful as a father to be identified with a son who has had crime in his background. Jesus' baptism of identification is that there is no limit to which he will not stoop to save us from the depravity and the bottomlessness of our sin. And so he walks into those waters to say to you, I'll fully identify with you I'm fully a man, but I do not sin. That's very important. The second introduction to Jesus 
exactly his family tree. That you read at the end of chapter 3, the third introduction to adult Jesus is what we are going to deal with today. Jesus' temptation. So if Jesus' baptism introduces us to a mighty doctrine of salvation, He's willing to go to the ends of the earth, or may we say, He's willing to go to the pit of the grave to save us from Satan and sin. What on earth is His baptism about? What introduction to the person and work of Jesus and what lessons for us? as we begin a new year. Luke 4. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. A few things to take note. If you were reading this by yourself for your own personal walk, for your own personal devotion, what do you think you need to figure out when you read the first two verses? The first thing you need to figure out is what does it mean that he was full of the Holy Spirit? If you read the Gospel of Luke, 24 chapters of it, and we're going to deal with it later this year, 19 to 24. And then Luke is a two-volume written by this doctor who becomes an investigative journalist because he really wants to find out who on earth was this Jesus. He's truly who he is. And so I understand that the Holy Spirit is mentioned 57 times in Luke X. That everything that happens in Jesus' life and Jesus' ministry, fulfilling God's mission, is actually the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. He's conceived by the Holy Spirit. He ministers by the Holy Spirit. And he will go to the cross because this is God's will for him. Forty days, perhaps, is an echo, is reminiscent of the 40 years of wilderness that God punished his people with when they failed to take part in his rescue plan. Instead of thanking God, you rescued us from Egypt, you rescued us from Pharaoh. And what's so wrong about Pharaoh and Egypt? Because it's a land of idolatry. And all idols that we imagine and create with our hands are offense to the true and living God who can never be captured with man-made idols. How dare you? Every photo you look at, right, what is your instinctive response? Any photograph you look at. Every photograph you look at, you firstly look for yourself. Isn't that true? Unless I'm the only weird one. And secondly, you say, that's not me. That's not representative of me. <laughs> I look better than that. Right. Do you think you can capture God in a photograph? In all His glory, in all His fullness, you think you can capture God as a statue? It's a great offence to Him. Great offence. 40 days representative of the 40 years of wilderness for rebellion against God. Being tempted, the language that's used there is written in the Greek. It's a present participle. It's, my goodness, it's, it's Saturday, it's a 5pm service, and then there's going to be beam out on Sunday throughout the world. What on earth is this? I've come back. I'm, we're going through COVID-19. Why do I need a grammar lesson? This present participle just means that Jesus was being tempted the whole time and these three temptations that are single out here are the culmination of the devil tempting him the whole time during the 40 days. It doesn't mean this is the only time he was tempted, but this was the most severe testing of Jesus as the Son of God. That's very important to understand the context. With that, we can understand the first temptation. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, everyone begins with, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And so, how long have you gone without food? Have you ever fasted? Right. So, I was a young Christian uh, in university, and then came an appeal to raise money 
to help poor Christians around the world. I forget, was it World Vision? And taking part in the 40-hour fast or 40-hour famine. Okay? And the guidelines for it is that uh, actually no food, but you can drink. And if you really cannot take it, you can take drinks like Milo. So me and my friend, well, we're guys, so I said, 40 hours, what's 40 hours? That's nothing, man. Really nothing. 20 hours passed, it was something. 30 hours passed, it is a big thing. 35 hours, the two of us, it can drink Milo or not? <laughs> That's just 40 hours. You think this is a Nothing. Jesus was, for him, at his weakest moment and the greatest need for sustenance, for survival. You ever been in a weakest moment and your greatest need? You put the two things together and it is, it is the devil's playground. You couldn't get better than this. Weakest moment, greatest need, sure to fall. And Jesus, the point here, that satisfying our need for food must never be equal and confused with satisfying our need for God. So it's really an insight into vulnerability that when the devil tempts us, he will always try to find the chink in your armour. He will always try to find the Achilles heel, weakest moment, greatest need. For quite a while, I'm, I'm not wrong, there was a TV show, Weakest Link. Who is, we were playing a, a, team, a team sport, a team game. Who is the weakest link here? Sometimes you find the weakest link when we are in a team. Sometimes yourself, Satan will know where to find the weakest link within you. So the first temptation, the test for him was not simply for our Lord Jesus, not his capability to turn stone into bread. Do you think he could do that? As the Son of God, that the divine side of Jesus could turn stone into bread? That is not to be doubted. So it's not a test of his capability, but a test of his fidelity. It's not what he's able to do for himself, it's what he's willing to do for God and for us. Is he able to turn stones into bread? Yes. Will he turn stones into bread? No. What God will do, what God can do, and what God will do are two different things. And here is God's Son in the flesh. But fidelity to not live by bread alone. The very definition of you and me made in God's image is that you mustn't be reduced to an appetite. Satan will always want to reduce you to simply an appetite. And you and me become deformed in our humanity when from day to day, week to week, month to month, you are just a series of appetites. From food and drink to pleasure and sex, everything revolves around you feeding your appetite, feeding our egos. That's when we become most ugly. We reach the max of our humanity. We reach beauty in our personhood, in reflection of God, when we feed at God's Word, feed on God's Word. That's what He told us when He first created us. That's what He told Israel, that you shall live not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Every other idolatrous nation turns ugly, because we become a series of appetites. I've written this, I've told this. From the first time I, I heard it, right? This wife said, no more chance for the husband. Why no more chance? Gave him forgiveness after forgiveness after forgiveness. But after each dose of forgiveness, he went back to his flirtation, he went back to his adultery. And so she decided rightly so, I think, to pack her bags. And before she walked out, she said to him, you are impossible to live with because you're not a man, you're an appetite. 
we become ugliest when we are reduced to simply an appetite. And Satan knows how to reduce you to an appetite. He knows how to do that. It's whether you know that he knows how to pounce on your vulnerability. The second temptation, the devil took him and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to Jesus, here is the devil speaking directly to our Lord Jesus in his earthly life. To you, I will give all this authority and their glory. Please take note. For it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be yours. That was temptation number two. In all its subtlety, in all its conniving. And what is Jesus' answer to, to the devil? It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. Sorry, shall you serve. What's the point here? The point here of the second temptation, if the first temptation was the identity of Jesus vis-a-vis -vis in comparison to His whole nation of Israel, here is the true Israelite. Every other Israelite, the whole nation of Israel, failed to live by the word of God. If the first temptation had to do with the identity of Jesus, the second temptation has to do with the identity of Satan. That Satan, the unseen enemy of God, an enemy of God's people, an enemy of God's purposes, is now promising all kingdoms is now promising all authority. He's now promising, he's now saying that God has given him all kingdoms and all authority. When you read scripture, you will find passages like Ephesians 2. You'll find, you'll find in Revelation that Satan is given limited and temporal authority. He's the ruler of the kingdom of the air, but only for a time and only limited. So for the devil to claim that he has all kingdoms and all authority makes him to be an outright liar. And he says, because all powers and all authorities have been given to me, if you bow down to me and worship me, I will download all those things to you. This is the identity of the devil. He is the number one mimic and imitator of God. Only God has absolute authority. God is Alpha and Omega. And so, if God is the father of truth, Satan is the father of lies. He has some authority. He has limited authority. And he does the, his best, best work in fakeness. So you know in life, you cannot offer what you don't have. But you know what? Satan is always offering what he does not have. And Satan is always offering you heaven when actually he's going to deliver hell to you. I said that a few weeks ago. Think of every temptation in life, and especially sexual temptation. It is, it is poison. It is sugar-coated poison. Whatever you do not know about the devil, he will deliver what he doesn't have. He says, you bow down to me and it's going to be paradise. You bow down to him and it will be a living hell. That has been the history of humanity. And that could be your story as you sit here listening to this three culminations of temptations upon Jesus' life. The third temptation, sorry, let me go backwards. The devil took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So he's quoting Psalm 91. 
But for every temptation, did you know this? Satan is quoting scripture. I've used the wrong word. You can tell me. For every temptation that the devil brings to Jesus, he's misquoting scripture. And Jesus' repartee and Jesus' response to the devil is he rightly quotes scripture in context. And what is the right quotation of scripture to fend off the devil and his temptation, the devil and his lies? The third temptation is you test God to see whether he'll protect you. You throw yourself down from the holiest place, the highest point in the temple, and see whether the angels, God will send the angels to protect you. It's one thing to test God for his love. It's one thing to test God for his protection. It's one thing to test God for his provision. It's a totally different ballgame to trust God for his love, to trust God for his protection, to trust God for his provision. If Mona, my wife, has to test me whether I love her, whether I'll provide for her, it means she doesn't trust me. She used to ask me when we were dating, do you love me? Yes. How much? All the time. Will you die for me? No problem. If she asks me now, I think about it. If you have to be tested for your love and protection, it means that the person doesn't trust you. And it's totally different for Jesus as the Son of God. So let's tie it up. What is the heart of Jesus' temptation? In his baptism, there is nothing he will do, he will not do, to identify with our sin apart from sin. Identifying with our fallen nature, but doesn't fall himself. With his temptations, there is nothing he will not do to obey the Father. So in one sense, what Jesus goes through is actually unique because he goes through it as the true Israelite. And for every test that Israel failed in her relationship with God, Jesus passed with flying colours. And what is it that he passed? As the sons and the daughters of God, and Israel's were, Israel was called the sons of God in the Old Testament. You must never misuse the privileges of sonship for yourself. But she did again and again. But Jesus will come as the true and faithful Israel who will not misuse his rights, his privileges as the Son of God, but would use his responsibility at the very cost of his life. So there is nothing he will not do in obedience to the Father even if it costs him his life. And when you get the two messages, there's nothing he will not do to identify with us. He has nothing he will not do to obey the Father. You got the Saviour who loves you. You can trust him. That when he comes to destroy the devil's work and save you from sin and save you from God's wrath and make you from an enemy of God to a child of God, you can just trust that he will do that perfectly from the cradle to the cross. That's the message, I think. So we need to understand what about Jesus. Then in one sense, what he goes through, the temptations, they are unique. They are not repeatable. They are for him as the ultimate son of God, undoing Israel's failure as a nation. But in the words of one commentator, I think there's weight to it. He's also representative of us. Because the passage before this, as it traces the family tree of Jesus, he's the son of Abraham, he's the son of Adam, he's the son of God. Now, when you trace that family tree, because he's Jewish, right? He's Israelite. Couldn't they have traced the son of Joseph, son of Joseph, son of Go and goes, son of Abraham. That would have proven him as a bona fide Israelite. But no, friends. Is not simply about God's salvation purpose for one nation. He's the son of Adam. So what Jesus comes to do, not simply as the descendant of Abraham, but as the second Adam. And what has he come to do? 
That's why the responsive reading was Romans 5. Whatever you do not know about the first Adam, the first Adam's DNA was disobedience to God. And whatever you do not know about carrying his DNA in your veins and arteries, you and me carry the veins and the arteries of disobedience. God tells you not to do that, you do that. Exactly. You don't ever need to tell children. You tell children, don't do that, they'll do that. Don't look at this thing, they'll look at it. Where did that come from, my friends? So on the one hand, this is unique of Him, our Lord Jesus, as the Son of God. And could it be, on the other hand, is representative of all of us? That the heart of three temptations you've got to realise, firstly, our vulnerability. The chink in the armour. Weakest moment, greatest need. So for every missionary that has come back and Mona and me have spent some time with them, before we send them back into the mission field, if we had some time, carve out some time to, to have a meal with them, this is my parting word for them. And for those who go off to Bible college to train, and even for our pastors, always be aware of your vulnerability. Always be aware of your vulnerability. And what you were vulnerable to 10 years ago may be different to what you're vulnerable to now. And Satan will keep zooming in and keep teasing out, teasing out that vulnerability. And for us, long, long in the teeth and long in the ministry is, oh Lord, I can't carry on. This is too hard to finish. This race is too hard to run. This is too tough to finish. That could be our vulnerability. That you don't believe, Philippians 1, that he who began a good work in gene, he's not capable to carry it in to completion. Is that what Satan is saying to you? After a very long and prolonged COVID-19, I can't see light in my marriage. Is that what he's saying to you? I can't see light in this marriage. And I better call it quits now. I can't see light in my Christian life. That is always the vulnerability that is there. And never under underestimate Satan. He's the father of lies. And he knows to push the buttons in your life and my life. And we don't need to test God. We need to trust God for everything. So what does that have to do with us as we start the year? As we start the year, please take note that Jesus, nothing in His DNA screams disobedience. Everything in His DNA is obedience to the Father at the greatest cost to His life. In that sense, He's the new head of a new humanity that from your waking moments to your sleeping moments, when you open your eyes, you ask, how can I obey you, God, today? How can I please you? That's what we learn in Colossians, right? We pray not simply to know His will, but how to live a life that is pleasing to Him. Colossians chapter 1, that's very precious for us to learn. Verse 10 to verse 14. I hope we learn that. Previously, before Christ, you and me woke up. Lord, I've woken up. How can I please myself? How can I please my senses? How can I satisfy my appetites? Now, in Christ and by the Spirit, we wake up. Lord, how do I please you? How do I live a life that is pleasing to you, worthy of your Son? Totally different way to wake up. It's a new humanity and a new start, but only if you believe in Jesus. So I gave this to us at New Year's Eve service. I just tricked it. For us to be part of this new humanity, you need to wage war. You're going to worship and love Jesus more and more, moment by moment, day by day of your life. Then if you worship Jesus and you love Him more and more day by day, you're going to love His people, and I use the word appreciate. It's a very light word, but it's an acronym to help you keep this. And then R, you're going to resist the devil because the devil is still around. He no longer can attack the head of the church because Jesus has finished his work. He's seated at God's right hand. You've got to resist the devil and reach the world under Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Do you believe this? Can you carry this from January 2nd, 1st and 2nd, to January 31st of 2021? That is, if by the grace of God, this is not the year you return to glory. Then as you started the year, you're going to end the year still alive. Please do not ever forget, we have a war to wage. And so one of the iconic buildings here in Singapore is Marina Bay Sands. And besides it, there's a museum that looks like a lotus. What's the name of the museum again? The Art Science Museum. I thought I got that. I went to visit it when some of my relatives came and brought young children. It's a wonderful museum. You must go, right? And in one section of the museum, you come to this place with a huge electronic wall, right? And then you draw things. They give you things to draw. And whatever you draw, you scan it in, and whatever you scan in comes out on the screen. And so we went, right, as a family. And uh, this was my daughter drawing something. Let's see. Okay. And so she do something, you see the things all there. All those are different drawings of different people who were there, mainly of kids, right? And so it's an ocean scene, and you draw whatever fish or sea or jellyfish that you want to do. And so it's very exciting. Whatever you draw comes out, and you, you look at it. Hey, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine. I drew one. I'm very bad in art, right? I drew one, and on, I drew a turtle. And on that turtle, because I was sitting my daughter, her name is May, so I put Dad and May on the turtle shell. So if you can find it, that's the turtle. Very, very ugly. Right on top, can you see that? With a shell. And if you zoom in closer, it has Dad and May. She was so embarrassed. So embarrassed that the father's drawing is so bad. <laughs> so she drew her own, and her own was not bad. Her own was this. Her own was this. Ah, that's quite nice, the seahorse, don't you think? So I stood there, I don't know, I lost myself for about half an hour to an hour there, each of us drawing something and just seeing as it went round and round, that's mine, that's yours, that's mine, that's yours. It's so wonderful. When we see that, the number one lesson in all the three slides I've showed you is please understand that you're part of something bigger. You're part of a war between God who rightly created you and rightly wants worship of Him from you. And Satan, who is a created being and should not be worshipped, and he wants you to worship him. If you don't see this, you will get lost in spiritual warfare. You're part of something bigger. And guess who won this warfare? Jesus did. From his humble birth in Bethlehem to his humble, humiliating death on the cross. So it would be very tragic, I told you at the New Year's Eve service, if you came out of this pandemic with no greater worship of Jesus and no greater love for Jesus, who now, though sin touches everything in your life, from cradle to grave, it took the one act of Jesus to cancel all the works of Satan and all the sins of your life and my life. Many sins... One cross, one atonement. I call that a pretty good deal, don't you think? So I quoted something that my sister sent me. This is not a year to get everything you want, but this is a year to appreciate everything that God has already given you. Please think about it. If you don't appreciate your husband, your wife, your parents, your children, you don't appreciate what God has given you, in life, why should God give you more? You didn't appreciate your health all these years. Why should God give you more healthy days? Never thank Him for your eyes. Never thank Him for your ears. Never thank Him for anything. You thought all these things just run on, they just run. No, friends. Every single sense you have is a gift from God. Amen? So if you can't appreciate what you already have, why should God give you more beautiful things to enjoy, to be whole? Why? Ask that question. So the best thing that should come out of this pandemic is loving and following Jesus more, loving and serving the church more, and reaching the world 
even more. That brings us to our theme for the year, 2021. So our theme for the year is very simply, Back to Basics, Back to Jesus. Back to Basics is the title of a book we're going to give to you. And for seven weeks beginning from next week, all of us from children's church to youth to adults, we're going to walk this through. Why? The studies. So I want you to make a paradigm shift in your mind. The moment I mention basic, right? Basics. What comes to your mind? Basics is elementary, is that alphabet. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and can you say all 24? Can? All 26, sorry, I was just testing. Can you, all, can you remember all 26? Really? We think that basics is elementary. I want to do a paradigm shift with you and challenge you. Whenever you think basics of the Christian life, basics of the spiritual life, basics of the gospel life, you think essentials. These are the seven foundational things. They are not basics. And so, has it come on? Back to basics, back to Jesus. And so, we're going to take you back to Jesus. And whether you're truly safe, you're not saved by presumption, you're saved by affirmation. Whether you're, you're saved by faith and faith alone or saved by merit. I was born into a Christian home. I did ministry in church. I joined the Boys Brigade. I've been singing in the choir for 20 years. No, friends, none of those things save you. And they're going to pursue the third thing, holiness. And then the fourth thing, you read God's Word, do you hear God's voice? You read God's Word, do you hear God's voice? God has been telling you for 10 years to give up on your anger, to give up on your ambition, and you still give Him just your activity. God has told you to give up on your malice, and you still give Him your ministry. He wants your malice to be surrendered. You give Him ministry. It's a very poor substitute. Holiness. God tells you to pray. You pray once a week when you come to service. But you don't pray. It's led by the service leader. It's led by the pastor. We don't want you to pray like that. We want you to pray as if your life depended on it. We want you to pray so that your enemy is not your wife or your husband, but Satan. We want you to pray against the world and against your sinful nature. So seven essential foundational studies from children to youth to adults. And I pray that in ARPC, we will always press the reset button. Because if you now were infected with COVID-19, let's say unthinkably from an imported case, and now you are lying in ICU on bed. Who will you call upon? I tell you what, you may not remember a lot of things. You may not remember even the Lord's Prayer. You may not remember the Apostles' Creed. But I give you only one name to call upon before you die. It's Jesus. And make right with Him. This is not elementary. This is life-giving for now and for eternity. So how might it look like January to February, back to basics. Then March to April, we're going to do six, seven weeks of back to a gospel, always meeting the Lord Jesus. And in ERPC, next, this year, we've been asked to host our English Presbytery Easter Convention leading up to Good Friday. We do not know by, by March or April what the situation will be, but it's going to be held here, right? What numbers will be allowed here? Whatever the numbers, and it will be live streamed from here. In April to May, right, back to God. How many of you enjoyed the study of Genesis? I hope we all did. As we walked through the life of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. How many of us cannot identify with that as we live in a fallen world? And we're going to carry on with that beautiful story in the book of Exodus in two parts. First part, April to May. Second part, October to November. The church camp, viral chaos, exile lessons. July to August, 1 Peter, which has so many overtones of Exodus. And then September, a whole month, just making sure that we live 
pure lives in terms of our sexuality and sex. Where does that take us? The highlights of the year, the end of this month, we're going to have a men's conference, as I was alluding to. But we didn't have time because we spent a lot of time at the end of this last year focusing on the guest workers because we were given that gracious, unthinkable invitation to host nine Christmas parties for them, something we mustn't take for granted. And then we're going to host the Easter convention. The John Piper ministry that was postponed is most likely going to happen in April via Zoom, different ways. It's all being nutted down. And hard questions you can ask of the Bible, of the Christian faith, by asking Pastor John. May a focus on the family conference, June, our church camp, September. And we do all this for a simple purpose. What purpose? I do not know what you have learned all this years. By the grace of God, Mona and me begin the 31st year of our ministry here. Some years are long. Last year, flowing into this year, long and hard. I have not had to work so hard behind the scenes with so many of our leaders and members to make sure that we are making the wisest decisions from our suspension to our continuation to now our resumption, making sure that we work hard on the ACM and the mandate, working hard behind the scenes with the music team that week after week we are doing the right thing. You, you know how many hours goes into producing a music video that we saw, right? The first one we presented is uh, Home, and then we presented Is He Worthy? And then we ended the year, It Is Well With My Soul, that's many, many hours by one person singing. And it's stitched together. So we thank God for our tech team, especially the music tech team, led by Scott, right? And Pastor Joe, and Jason, and Kenneth, working behind the scenes so that the foreground ministry will carry on. I've never had to work so hard. Hence, by the grace of God, I stand here not kaputz. So you mustn't ever take that for granted. Children's church, the same. For the children to Zoom with their teachers, the man hours producing a music video, 20 to 30 hours for everything that we deliver. If you arrive here and you heard the gospel for the whole of 2020, please give thanks to God that He has worked in and, in and through the body of Christ. Amen? Very, very important. Let's give a hand, especially those who have been working so hard behind the scenes. Right? So I wish you Jesus. I wish you Jesus because Jesus is all we have and all we need. Now may the love of God our Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the abiding and mighty presence of the Holy Spirit work in us that we might be unafraid to carry the glorious gospel to our family and friends in Singapore, to our neighbours, to our communities, to our nation, and beyond, beyond to the region and beyond to the world. Make us good stewards of yours, that Jesus will always be exalted and you be glorified as we are saved as part of a new humanity forever and ever. Amen. Thank you all for coming. See you at the next service. Keep coming.